Education Academy, a show created to bridge societal divides in the judgment-free zone using candor and humor. My name is Jay, and I am joined today by Dr. Nick Martinez. How are you doing today? Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure having you. I appreciate you uh, taking the time for your busy schedule because it seems like you're teaching the world. <laughs> when I was looking through like your credentials. I bet it does. And uh, Caroline's sitting in today. How are you doing today, Caroline? I'm doing awesome. You're doing happy awesome? To, yeah, happy to join you too. To give you guys nice. kind of a backstory, Caroline, uh, when she went to school, Dr. Martinez was one of her teachers or professors. So um, she speaks very highly of you. Um, Thank you. Welcome to the show. <laughs> there you go. Get some knuckles, some daps. Uh, why don't you just uh, tell us a little, about, a little bit about yourself, where you're from, and uh, we'll go from there. Yeah, so not born in Tampa, but raised in Tampa, born in San Antonio, Texas. My father was on a on a GI bill after Vietnam, so I ended up being born over there. So oh, you were born in in Texas. Uh, in Texas. In Texas. Okay. Yeah, and so um, transitioned back to Florida and pretty much raised here my whole life, and uh, went to school here, high school here, and then eventually just got into the field of exercise science. Went back to school and ended up teaching at the University of South Florida, and uh, taught multiple courses there, and done a little bit of research and worked with some some athletes along the way. So just in, in a general sense, just uh, it's pretty much where, where I've been. So sports medicine, mm-hmm. health sciences, what attracted you to that field? Yeah. So a lot of this kind of goes back to my father and his experience. Mm-hmm. So he, uh, after Vietnam, he, he was diagnosed with a brain tumor. I was probably about mm-hmm. two, three years old when that happened. And so I saw this man kind of struggle through his life and be challenged with health in a lot of different ways, but he took the initiative to to optimize his health in any way he could. He was always on the cutting edge of taking the right supplements, the right vitamins, the right type of nutrition. And uh, it gave him 30 plus years after being diagnosed with a brain tumor that they had only given him six months to live. And so, yeah, he went through a lot of, a lot of uh, tough times with like radiation and stuff like mm. that. And so that kind of put a, uh, a big, challenge on his, his cognitive ability moving forward, mm-hmm. but he was still, you know, like a truck. And so I saw that my life, you know, as a young kid growing up, the exercise that he did every day, the nutrition patterns that he had, and just the, the optimal or, or the, the optimism in terms of his mindset. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of stuck with me somewhere subconsciously, not necessarily consciously at that age, because you don't really pay attention to too much of that stuff. We think we don't. Yeah, you, you don't think we that think you do. we don't. But those shake out in the thirties is a yeah. really interesting mental health issues. For sure, for sure, <laughs> it's back there somewhere. Right? It's there. It's not going anywhere until it's untied. Yeah. And so when it comes back up, it resurfaced, <laughs> and it was a definitely a motivating factor for Love me it. to get back into that field. As a young kid, I played a lot of sports, a lot of baseball and stuff like that, and with my father always watching baseball and boxing, and so that's how I kind of got into the, the boxing element of things. But um, yeah, as a young kid, just very active. And then after that, kind of got into the world of music, which I hear you're a fan of. Love music. Yeah. Gary's a producer as well. Nice. Um, he actually, we were talking the other day, he um, he opened for Bone Thugs and Harmony back in the 90s in Cleveland. Super cool. Um, yeah, he knows all those guys. It was really cool to, to hear him talking about that. Yeah. Um, and myself, it's a later in life um, reunion with music. I grew up in uh, church choirs and things like that when I was younger. Nice. Um, and it was, it was a lot of fun, but I separated myself from it for a long time. I think just because of my own mental health issues and not identifying what a passion actually was and being able to pursue it okay. um, without any kind of personal shame or guilt attached to it. I know that sounds weird, but no, 
depending on the environment. That's how it uh, comes out. So once I uh, opened up a digital audio workstation and actually sat down for the first time with it, only because I was working on this show, putting it together, and I had farmed out our music. I went and I tried to find somebody to freelance me an intro. Like, I don't know shit about podcasting. I'm just going to ask somebody to give me an intro. This is kind of what I'm looking for. Send it over to me. I did that like five times and I kept getting like the hottest garbage I'd ever heard. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, let me just, I'm using this to edit anyway. I've got GarageBand in front of me. It has all these things called loops. What the hell are these? <laughs> and I just started going through it. And I was like, this is pretty easy. And I really like it. And I can hear this. I don't know shit about music. Mm-hmm. I can't read music. I don't know music theory. But I can grab you 50 sounds and cram them together like nobody's business. Happens to be my superpower. Didn't know that. Gary sends me ridiculous shit. We've got some videos on social media. He sent me, he was trimming his beard. Mm -hmm. Trimmed his beard. And then sent the clipper sounds and said, make music out of it. (laughs) And you did it. Yeah, I did it. I did it. That's that's why he said, you know, you got any genres? What type of music do you like? I'm like, I like artists that believe in themselves. There you go. Simple as that. Yeah. I think that that's the easiest way that's to describe it. off on you, right? You catch right. that vibe and listen to the music. If that's- they believe it, I believe it. Mm-hmm. And how many artists do we hear, especially now, that are singing the shit out of something they don't even know about? Yeah. They have no clue. It's just going through the motions. You won't feel it. You won't feel it until it's a Kurt Cobain yeah. or, you know, a Ray Charles or anybody. You know, right. whoever the voice is, you're not going to know Amy Winehouse until you feel it mm-hmm. through that microphone. Those are, it's your ears different. And when you feel it, it sends you on a wave. Oh, absolutely. It's so does. powerful that it's almost like magic. It's really one of the purest forms of magic in the world, I believe, is, is music. You were saying I, music is time travel the other yeah, day. Yeah, it absolutely yeah, is. I believe well. that it, it's one of the indicators that there is no such thing as time. Mm. Because of the fact that we can relate to it at any moment throughout our existence and tie exactly. ourselves to exact points, mm. like waypoints throughout life. It just shows that we're on an energetic wave that we're yeah. moving through. And all you have to do is change the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. I use music all the time to change how I feel about my surroundings, my scenario. I use it to raise my personal vibration without sounding like a hippie. Mm-hmm. But it's true. I mean, yeah. we are change matter. Matter is energy. Energy yeah. is matter. It's just vibrating Absolutely. a lot slower. I'm sure if we hit enough bass, everything in here would start bouncing sure. off and separating. Sure. <laughs> and when it, when you feel it, it uh, it, you catch that wave, and you could start dressing the way that they talk in the music, start acting the way that they talk in the music. Mm. You take on that persona; it's that powerful. It, that's so, interesting. Yeah. And so early in, after high school, I got into music a whole lot more, and I was working in a in a facility to where I was selling studio equipment and building studio equipment for different individuals, and I did a little bit of production. Nice. And so that was super cool, a great experience, but that was like my past life. And I don't really do that anymore, but I still listen to music nonstop. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's a way of living. Yeah. Um, I think that people can find ways to hold relationships with it, that it can give them comfort in times. Mm-hmm. It can give them motivation. It can quell anger. Sure. It can also get it going. It's so primal. I mean, Two different things could happen. I could walk in here with a big drum and I could beat the shit out of it and we're all going to war. Mm. Or I could sit there and tap it slowly and put you into meditation. Yeah, look at that. That's fucking wild. Yeah, it is wild. And they really works that way. Mm. <laughs> so 
I, I think it's beautiful that you have that relationship with music. Do you do anything besides listen to it now? What type of genres do you like? Or are you just I like every genre? Love it. Yeah. Yeah. Everything. Everything and anything. That's the way I am. Yeah. Uh, Caroline can tell you the playlist. We drove to uh, Steel, Alabama this weekend for Big Rim Racing. Okay. We were doing some uh, recording and drag races, and she got to leaf through all of the uh, playlists that I have on my phone. There's no rhyme or reason. Yeah. No, there's uh, there's <laughs> old stuff, new stuff. As soon as you think like, all right, he's just got a bunch of old songs on mm-hmm. here, like something new comes up, like Frank Ocean or something like that, and I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. It's like yeah. Jay's got the whole spectrum of if music. If the frequency it's, is right, you. It's a hundred percent what it is. Yeah. You brought up something interesting and being someone that has worked in the health field for so long, you said that you can take on personalities. You seem to focus on mental health with exercise science and things like mm-hmm. that. I like that um, you brought that up because I feel like we can create a new persona at any given moment in life yeah. and it only takes about 30 days. Yeah. You can swap your mask out. You can become a hip hop artist, a metalhead an exercise fiend, a diet person. It just requires that repetition in order to give ourselves that understanding that we're a new human at that moment. We don't realize how fragile it actually is. I mean, actors pick many roles. We pick one. Right. But it's still the same job. Still the same job. (laughs) Still the show. So... Have you seen that in your time working with people who are trying to traverse, you know, getting in a healthier mindset and a healthier lifestyle. How do you bridge that gap of that 30 days or, you know, trying to get that mindset where you can really see that it's worth it? I think one of the the biggest things is people don't like to reinvent themselves. They're afraid of that, right? There's a fear associated Mm -hmm. with, oh, I'm going to be this new person. There's always resistance to change. And so convincing people that reinventing yourself is okay and that society is going to judge you either way, whether you don't or whether you do reinvent yourself and pursue your goals. It's ultimately up to you whether you want to live your best life or you just want to continue living under the the fear of what society wants you to do. So getting over that stuff, I think, is important, right? Those self-efficacy issues. If if we put someone Mm -hmm. in an environment to where they're not comfortable in a weight room or in an aerobic setting, then they're not going to be happy doing that. They're likely not going to adhere to that bout of exercise. So then you're going to have an uphill battle with that, right? So getting them to to become motivated in some way to say, I'm not going to be fearful of that and just get them moving forward. I like that. Um, and I agree with you 110%. And I think also that it really boils down to self-love because once you love yourself unconditionally, the color of your Speedo pants or your, you know, whatever tight shirt that you bought at Marshall's mm-hmm. that is not made for people over a certain weight, because they try to embellish you, they make you look like a fucking highlighter, you know, <laughs> running through there with a three X. They don't have anything normal looking for people over right. a certain weight. It's right. it's very sad. But what does it fucking matter? You're right. Who everybody's going to judge you? That's right. Because that's what we're made to do. Because we're trying to protect ourselves. We're to, yeah, yeah, we're gonna put a grade on someone else because mm-hmm. it is what gives us our grade. Yes. If we don't have them at a notch, we can't figure out what notch we're at. But I was telling Jeffrey uh, Heim, he was here the other day uh, for, uh, he was, he does Shark Co. And we were talking about, like, when you approach something with a mask, and you're not giving your true self. You're not giving what's authentically you. And we talk about that 30 days as being something that is difficult to start 
or get ready for or try to get to. And I, I was describing it as the curve mm. versus the cliff. To be yourself, which means you get to go to the gym and run around like an idiot any way you want to because that's what it's made for. It's a fucking gym, yep. right? But you have to take that first step. And we will treat that first step like it's a cliff to be authentic when in all reality, it's a curve. And we'll get so, we'll have so much anticipation, anxiety. Will they love me for me? The day I show up with all my wounds and I'm in the gym and everybody's looking at me crying in front of this and trying really hard, that's when you will become successful at it because it doesn't matter what they think. Yeah. People are attracted to people that love themselves unconditionally. That's what real beauty is. It's not facial features. It's not looks. Because we're attracting right. the goofiest fucking people on the planet. Of course. You think Steve Buscemi is awesome looking? No. <laughs> but do we love him? Yeah. yeah. Why? Because he's fucking himself. He's a cool dude. Yeah. Right? It's not about how yeah. you look. It's, it's about how you love yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, that's kind of my extra push to that. That if you want to get to that 30 days, sit on your ass first. I know that sounds like being lazy, but it's honestly, it's self-contemplation. It's meditation. Yeah. It's figuring <laughs> out where you are in the grand scheme of things. And then you have no reason not to go work out or yep. do things. That's one of the, the steps of the pre-contemplation or the trans-theoretical model, pre-contemplation. Oh, so describe think, that, please. Well, just thinking about the bout of exercise or your intention of what you want to do. Mm. And just thinking about intention and attention. If you think of intention as like your, your laser beam, you may have heard this before, intention being your laser beam, and then attention is the way that you aim it. Mm. That's how you're really going to manifest the things in your life is where you put your attention. That's where stuff is going to grow. I try to explain to people. I love that you're saying this. It's so obvious that this is the case and it has small tells in life that we ignore. And one of them that I believe is car shopping. When you go out and look at a car and you finally make that day where you go to the dealership and you want to take a test drive in it, Mm. not going to buy it that day, but I really want this one that they showed me today. It hasn't really been on my radar, but this, this particular car is the shit. I'm going to think about it. Nobody else has this car. I'm going to be the first one to get it. Fuck you. The moment you drive off that, that dealership, all you see exactly. is that fucking car every single time. But it was always there. Always there. Always there. You get what you look for. Mm-hmm. There's a part in the brain known as the reticular activating system, which is the hardware of the brain where they say, this is where the mind and body connects. But it's also the area to where you start to notice these patterns and it picks, it's picked up in that hardware part of the brain, the reticular activating system. I like that. You buy um, a yellow car, you see yellow cars everywhere you go. You know, one of the things when I first started thinking about what is reality? How do I move forward to things? Why do I repeat things? What is it that we're doing? Um, you get on that first train where it's like, manifest your life. Mm-hmm. Everything is read the secret and do this right. and do that. Right. While they're, and we're discussing theories that walk right around that type of scenario sure. that has been bastardized. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing that I did was, and I don't talk about this on the show, but I took, I can only imagine this is fake. I don't know that these actually exist because I grew up poor and I'm still poor now in this consideration. $100,000 bill, right? I took a fake $100,000 bill and I sat down at work one day and I stuck that bitch to the bottom corner of my monitor. Mm -hmm. And I said, obviously this didn't work. I was not happy after I got $100,000 in salary. Mm -hmm. But that was my theory. 
I'll be in a good place if I hit six figures. Mm-hmm. And I looked at that fucking thing every day. Within eight months, my entire career had changed. Yeah. I had finished my degree and I was working for the top consulting firms in the world, nice. making six figures, hating life, <laughs> but hating life. There. But I got there. It just yeah. taught me that you can do anything. Yeah, but be careful what you wish for. Sometimes. Right. It's who are you doing it for? Yeah, yeah. That attention is, is key. It Wherever really you put is. your attention is where you're going you're gonna to grow. Yeah, your mind becomes your reality. It's like your subconscious creating this whole reality for you. And then once it's created, that's when you start realizing it. But mm. you still have the choice to make it whatever you want to make it. Like, you can make it mean this. You can make it mean that. It's just... Man, there's like three or four doctors from around the 1800s that would have had a field day with that statement sure. right there. Oh, yeah. Like, all Great the different... Like, like, Carl, was it June? Oh, John. John, yeah. yeah. Like, he would have he would have eaten that for breakfast because... Sure. His idea is that we're just basically telling ourselves everything throughout the day. It's whether or not we pay attention to it at the, in the grand scheme of things. So you talk about synchronicities and stuff like that. Um, and again, not a hippie, but I do see things when things happen. Sure. And um, just like the yellow car, for the, for the last like three or four years, I've seen nothing but double digits and all time synchronicities everywhere I go. When we drove to Alabama, I was like, hey, it's 444. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like everywhere we go, gas station. Yeah. I do the same thing. Yeah. And yeah. At one time it was four 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 three 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 and five five five. Like on all different apps. It was like fifty <laughs> like five hours and fifty five minutes till we got somewhere. Yeah. The yeah. time was four four four. I took a picture. It was pic- it sure. was picture worthy. Well, I told Gary the other day, um we a little while back. I love the Beastie Boys, License Sale. It's my favorite album. Right. And um I was talking about it for whatever reason when we first started becoming friends. And he's like, what are you doing right now? He's like, can you see me? I'm like, no, I can't see you. He was holding the license to ill Beastie Boys album for Dana that they had bought mm. to give to him as a gift because he's a huge Beastie Boys fan. Okay. I was like, that's weird. Like, who just opens up talking about that and you're holding the actual vinyl? Yeah, um, I, but I do believe that it's all part of that inner psyche where we're giving ourselves clues as to what's right and what's wrong. Yeah. You know, are you on the right path? Because I didn't see any of this until I started meditating. Until I started mm. talking to myself internally so and unraveling. Recently? Last four years. Okay. Last four years. I haven't missed a single day of meditation. I get up every day. Beautiful. I meditate um, anywhere from 20 minutes to two hours, depending on what I have as far as time available. And just dedicate myself to it. And the longer I did it, the more time slowed down. Yeah. The more time slowed down, the more I started to figure out that things were a choice, that I was reactive to anything and everything that was going on around me, even my own emotions, right. my interpretations of things. If I was angry, I'm not angry at the person. I'm angry at whatever I'm trying to defend. Mm, that's right. Whatever that internal thing is. Whatever um, the insecurity is. It's always an insecurity. Yep. We're just children. We're, we're literally children. Grown into a fast-paced society. I'm curious to see what you think of this, since we're talking on this line. We had a conversation the other day about joining the rat race, mm-hmm. becoming an adult, right? Where those habits all come from, your personality, when you step into it. And I've heard yogis and monks and psychiatrists all talk about somewhere between five and seven. Yeah. Suddenly there's a world there. Where there wasn't before. We can look back at our memory. Oh, shit. You might have flashes and stuff. Right. 
But then there's a moment that you became Jay, Nick, Sunday, right? Yeah. What is that in the development of the human mind? Do you know anything about that? How is that traversed? Because I feel like there's two different ways you can do it. Yeah. Either be slowly brought to reality by a nice set of nurturing parents and fed a little bit over time, or you catch a road belt at six years old from a drunk dad or something like that. You know, and you're, that's hello world. Yeah. Those are two different personalities. Yeah. Two different humans. Sure. I believe that there's, there's truth to that. Obviously there's some science to support that those first six, seven years of our life is primarily driven by the, the theta waves, Mm. right? Theta and delta waves. And so you're kind of absorbing all the stimuli around you. And that's going into the subconscious mind that you referred to earlier. And the subconscious mind is, is, there's an intelligence there. Right? There's an intelligence there that you don't really have to think about how your blood's going to flow and how things are going to operate physiologically. There's something working behind the scenes for you mm. that keeps you alive. Autonomic system. Sure. You could drink you know, soda and it's going to turn it into pure blood. You can't do it the whole, your whole life, but you could do it for, get away with it for a good amount of time and it's going to turn crap food or crap beverages into something positive for you. So I think those first six, seven years of your life, you are putting that stuff in the subconscious mind. And then that's, that's who you are at your roots, like your insecurities, your traumas that mm-hmm. you have in those, in those first six, seven years are always being played out until you come back to them in this spiral again and again and again. You keep learning the same thing, trying to get over it until you finally get over that, that hump. I love that you said a spiral. Everything is a circle. Yeah. You will revisit your issues. I've come to the conclusion that I keep coming into scenarios that are like scenarios that are some kind of sticking point internally, or there's an issue with someone that I can recognize that is in my life over and over again, that it is my job at some point to recognize what exactly it's trying to teach me. Not that I need to solve it. Mm-hmm. solving it happens every time. It's always put away. It's gotten rid of. It's figured out. But what is it trying to teach me? Because it's that's the right. only reason it would ever come back. Yep. Because I'm asking it to. And why am I asking it to? Generally, it's because I'm a fucking dumbass, but <laughs> I do invite these things back. And that's how I've tried to look at these types of scenarios is why is it here? Yeah, I think it's rooted in fear. There's some kind of fear mm. that's associated with it. And that's why it's staying with us. And until you get over that fear, it's going to keep coming back again and again until you're courageous enough to say, I'm going to go through it to, to come to the other side. How wild is it to be a being that needs courage to be itself? Yeah. It's that simple. Yeah. Our inputs that we've received over life and our societal conditioning mm-hmm. is so strong yet non-existent, that it will force you to do things physically. Yeah. I explained this to someone the other day, the stop sign. The stop sign is another indicator that judgment has physical strength mm-hmm. in reality. Because if I watch somebody that normally runs a stop sign, you can tell who's going to run the stop sign. They're flying up to it. They mm-hmm. take off. We see it all the time. But the moment that you stand there and look at the stop sign when they pull up to it, Nine times out of 10, they start slamming on their brakes, double stopping, they're figuring out. Because why? Just because they're being looked at. You don't even have to be angry. You can stand there with a blankest look on your face, but suddenly they're stopping. And that's the most minute 
piece of judgment that you can get out there. Imagine all the other balking that we do in life mm -hmm. because of judgment. That doesn't mean that we're balking at something we shouldn't do. Yeah. Might be balking at the greatest things that we could do with the same thing. There's a set of eyes on me at this stop sign. Which way do I fucking go? Mm. Every single time. Yeah, the whole concept of having to be courageous just to be yourself is, is a powerful statement. Because when you think of just stress and more specifically anxiety, which is your, your desire to avoid certain types of things so that way yeah. you're, you're not accumulating that physiological stress. But the courage to be yourself is really rooted in anxiety being, being um, a conspiracy theory about yourself. We live in a falsely constructed future in the present mm -hmm. or a past like that, that no longer exists. We'll live in servitude of those two times, times in the now. Mm -hmm. We will spin yarns. We will do anything and everything in the name of what's going to happen or what has happened. Yep. When at the same time, all we did was just sit there and give ourselves a stomach ache in lifetime. Like, <laughs> you didn't solve anything because none of us are Nostradamus. We're not going to get it right. Right? Every or, or are we all just not tapping? Oh, that, I see, yeah. that's, a, that's another episode. Uh, I, I believe 110% that we're all the same. Yeah. You can't, I was, I think I was telling you, Carolyn, the other day, um, I struggle with God. Mm -hmm. um, not that I don't believe that there's something beyond me. It has to be, like, there is, whether it is me. Yeah. I'll never know. Right. Well, well, That's like, the ultimate question. Yeah. What we were saying earlier is within you, there's this intelligence that operates without you having to be <laughs> conscious of it. So, dude, I, the autonomic system is amazing yeah, to me. Yeah. And that's also the first time I was able to pinpoint the word faith. Because mm. for me, faith made no sense. I was like, what the fuck is faith? Like faith in something I've never seen does not work for me. Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's, that's called, I don't know, Irrational, wishful thinking. Yeah. <laughs> and for me, faith was meditation and the moment within meditation where I didn't breathe for myself. Mm. And it's hard when you first start meditating to not breathe for yourself because we're so arrogant as beings that we actually believe we catch our breath. You fucking catch your breath. What do you think was going to happen? Yeah. You're going to gasp until you don't gasp anymore when you get enough air. Right. Right. But we'll do that. And if I told you right now, watch your breath, immediately people start going, <sighs> even when they meditate, they sit down and they start to do that. That's not your autonomic system. Right. That's you consciously taking care of. Yeah. I'm not talking about it. It's the moment that you stop trying to breathe and air comes back. Yeah. Just breath aware. Correct. And the way that I did it was just hold my breath. Mm -hmm. a good 20, 30 seconds. And then the next breath in was autonomic. Yeah. And then just try not to take back over. And for me, faith was knowing that breath always returns. Mm -hmm. A heartbeat always happens. It's not guaranteed. Right. But it's always, you are one breath, one heartbeat away from not existing in this reality. Right. The breath is everything. And we're looking at the future and the past, anxiety and depression. That's ignorance. That's that is the human condition, the, in my mind. The Sanskrit word for, for breath is spirit. So tying back into that intelligent design that keeps us operating and the breath that comes back, mm. there, there is something divine about that.
intelligent. I believe it 110%. Um, It exists independently of everything else. Is that why people say, God bless you when you sneeze and you skip a breath? They're like, God bless you. I love organs. I've I've heard that God bless you was because uh, in ancient times, they believed that there was a a demonic force coming out of the individual whenever they sneeze. And so they would say, God love bless history. you. I thought that was, I thought I heard that just because I was Southern Baptist. I'm like, it must well, no, they just didn't stall your shame and guilt early, <laughs> yeah. trust me. They want to make sure that you have a healthy fear of existence yep. so that you stay in line your That's entire right. life. That's right. So Praise the Lord. Control. Pass the biscuits. That's Florida way. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's true though. I mean, and that's not to say that it, their core, all of these things really, all those religions do have great tenets. Absolutely. They're all the same. They all have truths. They're, they're literally a pizza. I say it yeah. on the show a lot. It's They all yeah. start in a Mesopotamian river valley and they kind of go out like into a that. circle. I like and that. each slice is a topping. Yeah. Like, yeah, you're still pizza, chief. You just have sausage. You don't do sausage. We understand why this religion doesn't do pork. Mm-hmm. This one probably got some curry on it. This one over here has sushi. This one here... But they're all saying the same Different shit. Flavors and spices. Be good people. Yeah. Don't fuck with each other. Yeah. Right? That's it. Yeah. It's so simple, but yet so difficult. I've heard it um, described as, you know, God, divine as an ocean with the mm. rivers being the different religions and spiritualities that lead to it. None of them having uh, the ultimate truth, but all having a truth that leads to that source. That's beautiful. Yeah. Way better than a pepperoni pizza. I'm telling the health sciences guy to eat like a <laughs> double cheese pizza and pepperoni. I <laughs> pizza is pizza is so good that it will make you feel that like you've been or make you not remember that you've been screwed over by an employee. <laughs> it is good. They will bring that to you on a Friday. Mm-hmm. They will give you a pizza and you will go home that day going, <laughs> they really appreciate me. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind the fact that you can't pay your mortgage. <laughs> you got a pizza that day. Jay offers me pizza every single time. <laughs> every different. time I'm here, he's like, "You want some pizza?" <laughs> so good, really good. It's, I, I, I keep the I keep the bar low. <laughs> every now and then, I'll throw in like you know one of those extra items that that's on the mm-hmm. on the menu. Get chicken wings. There you go. Yeah, it's bonus. Good combo. Capri Sun. <laughs> Capri Sun. <laughs> so I'm I'm curious. Being that uh, you've been teaching for so long, um, molding young minds, mm. we're coming into a new era. You're a very educated man. You seem like somebody that stays on top of what's going on in the world. And my curiosity is now that as a teacher with AI, ChatGPT, and yeah. all of these amazing tools, because I hate hearing that they're not, because they are in their own right. right. How do you feel that's being taken on in the education system now? Or what do you think about that? That is an area that I'm not too well versed in. Um, Mm -hmm. I probably should be a little bit more interested in it because it does play a part in academia and students going to school and how they use certain tools to craft documents and and assignments and stuff that's being submitted, be submitted via AI and you need to have a tool that can check all that. So I'm not too sure about how all that's going to look in the future. I just feel that no one's really going to be able to pl- to replace a solid professor in the classroom. No, no. Right? In terms of getting across, getting a message across to the students, you could put some AI in front of them, but ultimately that frequency that shows up that day is not going to resonate with 
those human souls in the same way that an artificial frequency would. Two different, two totally different situations. The, the human is the one that's always going to be directing the scenario because it's lifeless. AI has nothing. Yeah. AI is a bucket of words mm. that is being utilized live time with much more precision than we're able to. Mm. You know, it's reaching in there. ChatGPT has access to what it has in the bucket. It doesn't have access to intent. It doesn't have access to malice. Yeah. Those are feelings. Those are things that we inject in the system, mm-hmm. not a fucking computer. Right. That's, that's not their right. MO, right? So I think that um, what I've been looking at, and I, again, I'm not well-versed in it either, but I've tried to make a little bit of peace with it, you know, in understanding that, I don't necessarily care what people are using it for to turn in for whatever, because that doesn't hit my scenario. Mm -hmm. That said, I do like the idea that it has given a level set to the societal divide, which comes with money and access to education at earlier ages. Mm -hmm. And now having the ability to capitalize on a system that can show me the proper ways to put things together that somebody else may have had a more advanced opportunity to get into it. I feel like it does level some playing fields in that regard because I grew up poor. I didn't have a library. We didn't have shit. So how was I going to prepare for college? How was I going to know what the fuck any computer did, you know, or what that even was? But now Chad GPT says, this is the foundational shit that you need to know here. I can help you with this. You know, I can give you an assistant in this area. You don't know about marketing. Let's talk to you about what are some things that go into it. And for me, I feel like that's one of the greatest things about it is access to knowledge. Yeah. Just like like computers, how that changed the structure of how people learn and develop. I think this is going to do the same thing. It's just an advancement in technology. New base level. Yeah. I tried to explain that um, because a lot of creators are really scared of ChatGPT and these other AI tools that are doing creative yeah. things. They're even doing songs now, right? Dude, that's scary. Yeah. And also a little aggravating. I waited so long to learn how to make fucking music yeah. and then all of a sudden, now the computer's just spit uh, it out for me. <laughs> <laughs> Same thing happened with podcasts. You learn how to edit all this audio and then all these new AIs are coming out and they're mm. able to edit the audio is so much easier, which I'm thankful for, but I kind of want to push down new kids. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't get to learn this. I can see why all the boomers are pissed at us. Sure. They're just angry kids that didn't get the fun toys when they were around. Yeah. We forget about that. They, nobody wants it better for the generation after them. Right. They say that. Right. But they don't. <laughs> <laughs> so you're also involved in sports, sports medicine yeah. and helping athletes. Gary's not here today, but I do want to give you an opportunity to talk about boxing, MMA, how you got into that, and uh, what you're passionate about with it. Yeah, so again, going back to my father, he kind of groomed me to to have that passion for boxing. As a young, young kid, I didn't really appreciate it that much. I enjoyed the time uh, spending it with him and watching it on TV. And then as I got a little bit older, I started to tinker a little bit more in my teenage years and eventually went to a gym and and got knocked around a little bit and realized I didn't really like that too much, right? But um, I appreciated the sport in the, in the first, you know, firsthand kind of contact level. But um, after a few years of getting into the exercise science field, actually after graduating 
from my master's program, what ended up happening is I got an opportunity to work with some tennis players. And the tennis players were very high-level tennis players. Um, like transitioning from juniors to ATP, women's professional sports. Amazing. Yeah, and, and I had never even personally trained before. I'd never even trained a single individual in the gym before. And so I had this opportunity to work under a gentleman named Hans Gildemeister, who's a Chilean uh, champ back in the 70s, 80s, and phenomenal coach, a Davis Cup coach, and just a really good overall human being. And so we kind of vibed together on the first interview, and he was like, yeah, I, I want you to come work for me. And so I told him my philosophy would be to train his tennis athletes very similar to how I would train Cuban boxers. And he said, I like that. A start tomorrow. It's different. Yeah, it's different. So I would train these individuals in a way that was different than your average tennis player, but still a lot of core rotational stuff. So mimic a lot of the movement patterns that you see in tennis and in boxing. And when you see those two sports, to me, they're very much similar. They're, they're almost the same. Torso, it's a torso rotation, yeah. and it's trying to get leverage and power from the arms. It's one-on-one. -on -one. Mm -hmm. It's a combat sport. You're just hitting one person with your fist. With the, in the other sport, you're hitting the ball with a racket. And so it's the same concept of let me go left, 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 tricky by going right. And the same thing with a jab, 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 cross. So like a lot it. of the similarities with those two sports I found as I was starting to, to train that way. And then shortly after, after training tennis players, I had an opportunity to go work with, with, well, not opportunity to go work with a boxer, but I went to the boxing gym in St. Pete. And I met a gentleman there by the name of Clarence Booth. And uh, he was on a, a tryout for top rank that particular that month he was training for that fight. And he said, you know, what is it that you do? Because like I went, went in there with my USF apparel and I, I just looked different in a boxing gym. And so I told him what I did. And I told him that he looked really good sparring that day. And he said, well, you know, I've been looking for someone like you. And I said, that's funny because I've been looking for someone like you. And so our bromance started right there. Oh, that's yeah. so sweet. <laughs> <laughs> and, so, and so I hopped on uh, the road with him and traveled with him all over the United States and went to a few different spots outside of the States and, and worked his corner and uh, just did that for a couple of years. And then that led to other opportunities to work with other boxers as well. And I worked with, with a heavyweight named Lenroy Thomas, who was a Commonwealth champion. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Super cool. Um, and then my last, my last uh, individual that I worked with was an individual that defected from Cuba. His name was Robisi Ramirez, mm -hmm. two-time Olympic gold medalist. Had an opportunity to work with him when he first defected and came to the States. And uh, since then, I've kind of taken a, a bit of a, of a backseat on training, but I still consult with some of these guys and do weight cuts and handle their water cuts and things of that nature. And the mental mm -hmm. toughness aspect of thing, talking to them, consulting with them, but not so much training in the, in the field anymore. So you brought up a, a huge hot topic, weight cutting. Yeah. Weight cutting in combat sports is one of the biggest difficulties that a fighter would have to overcome because of the fact that it is so detrimental to the human body yeah. and the fact that they pick such ridiculously low weights mm -hmm. versus their walk around weight. It scares me. Um, I brought it up on the show before. The brain is the last place to hydrate. Yeah. And <laughs> And you're doing everything you can to get rid of it. And then you want to go in there and let people punch you in it yes. for half an hour. Yeah. It's not a good, not a good look. That thing's nope. just rattling around in there mm -hmm. like a spray paint. 
Like it's not, it's not good. Well, that's my brain. So smaller. (laughs) So if you, um, if you were working with a fighter, um, or somebody in combat sports that was telling you that they needed to make a weight cut, how do you approach that? And do you give recommendations to cut the shit out? Don't go that low. Yeah, there's recommendations for sure. And there's ways that I do it that some would say, well, that's, that's very different and very unique. I don't do things very traditional. And, um, the methods that I use, I can't disclose everything uh, right now, but I would say that there's a, there's a part of it that's hyperhydration. So we do take in a large amount of water um, in order to release that water because whenever you take in a large amount of water, that downregulates the hormone known as aldosterone. And if aldosterone is downregulated, then salt will leave the body. And so if salt leaves the body, water is going to follow that, that salt out of the body. And so that's a good way to, to lose water weight. Priming a system. Yeah. But the problem with that is... Um, you do lose that water in the most important parts of the body, such as the brain, and you're using your hands in combat. That's why a lot of guys can end up breaking their hands because they lost a lot of the fluid around there, and so they become more huh. brittle. Yeah, so it's very dangerous if you don't rehydrate properly. And a lot of times people rehydrate in a way that's not favorable, and what they really want to do is use the right type of nutrition and the right type of hydration. And I have this right here. This, this is probably one of my go-tos. Coconut water? Yeah, instead of just regular water. She right. lectured me the other day about coconut water because yeah. I have a thing with uh, suntan lotion in my drinks <laughs> that I just can't get over. I don't like the taste uh, of coconut. It smells like yeah. drop, yeah. like like copper tone to yeah. me. I'm like, I feel like I'm just squeezing suntan lotion in my mouth. Yeah. <laughs> I love that smell of suntan lotion. See, yeah, exactly. It's like a rather bad. But I get exactly what you're saying. You got to replace the right electrolytes and the right things within your system. And also moving the body after you start to replenish it. Because if you don't move the body properly and you're just sitting down, resting, preparing Mm. for the next day, preparing for the combat ahead, then that fluid is just kind of pooling. You want to make sure to move the body, whether that's even dynamic stretching or some kind of light exercise to push Mm. that body into those different departments. Yoga would be great. Anything that moves rather than just Mm. sitting around and eating and drinking, which some guys tend to do. So... Let's say you do have a young athlete come up to you and they've been struggling at the weight class they're at and they've been given the advice that's just because you're not fighting at this weight. Mm -hmm. If you just took 15, 20 pounds off, you dominate. When you and I both know that 20 pounds doesn't make you a man, doesn't make you a better fighter, doesn't make you anything. Size doesn't mean anything in combat at the end of the day. It's leverage, it's skill, yeah. it's intelligence. It's now, now, when all that is equal, skill, intelligence, <laughs> attributes, then the weight can make a difference. But if you're just top tier versus someone that is not on your level, the person that's not on your level, it doesn't matter what their weight is, the person that has the skill is going to pick you apart any day of the week. That size is not going to make a difference. But when all things are equal, yeah, weight cutting can make a difference. So let's talk about the psychological impact of that. So there's two things that we can look at here. One is the impact of trying to get to it and what it does to your psyche, you know, draining yourself of all that, you know, inside your head. But then there's also the other side. And I've talked to some fighters about this in the UFC. Um, There is such a tremendous amount of shame that is placed on the fighter that can't make that cut. Yeah. Even though they get to it, they try to do it. I've seen it. I know that it is like, it is the number one thing that you are told not to fuck up on. Mm-hmm. 
because you're disrespecting the other fighter, you're disrespecting the sport, you're disrespecting those that don't get the chance to be on the platform. It's heavy. It's really laden with all those burdens. You get fined for it. Yeah. So what do you say to that kid um, or to these people to get through something like that? I think there's a lot of, uh, it depends and that mm -hmm. kind of answer. Um, if the coach is, has a good sound method to cutting weight, they should be able to cut weight properly. Mm -hmm. I've never missed a weight cut with, a, with anybody mm -hmm. on wood. Um, so we've always come in on the contracted weight and I don't get too much into all the dirty details like, oh, this can affect this. Mm -hmm. like kidneys, I don't put all that in their subconscious. If I know what I'm doing, I feel confident. They feel confident in what I'm doing and we just kind of ride that wave. Um, so there's that aspect of it psychologically. I don't like to put too much into their, mm -hmm. into their system. Um, relative to the kid that can't make weight and it's a consistent problem for him, maybe that's truly not his, his weight class because we do, we do have a set point. You know, for me to get down to lightweight and boxing, which would be 135 pounds, could I, could I do it? I probably could at five. Oh, yeah, he looked like 50 cent trying out for yeah, that movie yeah, when he was yeah. all like, <laughs> just shrunk up when he, oh, he played like an HIV patient yeah, or something yeah, like that. I could probably do it. Well, he right. definitely could. I mean, just go walk in the desert like all of our mm -hmm. forefathers. <laughs> I'm pretty sure there was none of them sporting a belly button. It was yeah. pretty, uh, it's pretty lean For out sure. there in the desert. For sure. We can all do it. But those individuals should probably look at a different weight class if they have consistent problems with it. Because if their skill is above average or even average, and they're going to do well in their, in their new weight class. That's what I think. Yeah. It, you can't not do better because you're in a much stronger physical mm. form at that point. You're not sure. dehydrated. Yeah. You're not, your mind is slower in that scenario too. We're not talking about the delays in cognitive processing and being able to take in. I mean, I want to be on my A game when somebody's swinging lunchboxes at my head because sure. these guys are huge. Like, I don't want to be out there just like <laughs> slow and just taking. Yeah. Um, Reaction time has to be, has to be on. <laughs> I've always found that I'm better when I don't know it's coming. Like if sure. I have to prepare for something, like if you told me I had a box a week in advance, I'd shit myself and be all over. Yeah. I'd be, but if you just said, Jay, it's time to box. Yeah. I'd be all right with or that. Someone just starts slinging. Like yeah. Yeah. And you want to sling, then that's, I don't have to that's like. That's your prepare. autonomic nervous system. Yes. That's the intelligence within you <laughs> taking care of you. Like, I don't like to fight because generally nobody shows up with a good collar afterward. You don't have a good look. Yeah, yeah. You're all stretched out, scuffed up. And no matter what you're saying, you still look like a dumbass. But inside the ring, that's a whole different thing, right? Yeah. Gary, uh, Gary helped me come to terms with a lot of that. Because as I started meditating, I started drifting away from what are we doing as humans? Why are we, you know, doing certain things like fighting? Mm -hmm. What is to be gained from that? And then after talking to him and learning more about my own passions and how we're given mechanisms to affect change, and we can only do them in the ways that we're created to do them. And for a fighter, we're primal beings. It's still right. in our DNA it's in and it's still an art. That's right. Artem Lobov was on the show. Art. Artem Lobov, the Russian hammer, he was on here and he said, let me tell you something. He's like, when was the last time you were somewhere when a fight broke out and everybody didn't look at it? I don't give a fuck where you are. You could be at the NBA finals. You could be at the Super Bowl. You could be at, you know, the Pope's coronation or whatever. Fight breaks out, everybody's looking that way. 
all eyes on the two middle-aged men that don't know how to fight, yep. shouldn't be fighting, everything in between. But we're all like, <gasps> yeah. they're primal. And we then love, we're all we just start hitting our chests. Yeah. And <laughs> hockey <laughs> games level. are crazy. Hockey games, I feel like some people just go to hockey games for the fight. Sure. I'm, I'm kind of guilty of this, you, yeah. you know? I, 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 that's the only reason why I played Blades of Steel when I was a kid. <laughs> I like the enforcers. Yes. Yeah. I like a sport where you're allowed to throw down for a minute or two to get rid of your rage. Yeah. Although some of those guys, re- I don't want to do it on skates. Yeah. Like, I could just see myself getting <laughs> <laughs> The first thing that came to mind was uh, roller derby. I was oh. like, I can see you doing that. Though. Oh, yeah. Dude, I roller derby. Oh, yeah? I just come across the side. I would do everything horizontal. <laughs> <laughs> Jay, what are you doing? I'm not going in a circle. I'm just going to start in the middle, and every time they come by, <laughs> just check them. <laughs> so, Caroline, um, so, Nick was one of your professors. Mm-hmm. Worked with him a long time through many classes. You said, um, "What was your favorite part of being a student, or what do you think that you took away from it?" Um, two memories that pop up like immediately uh, was a stress management class that we took. Um, and we went to the wrestling room up in the rec center at USF and super cold room. Like everyone's sitting there like shivering their ass off. Mm-hmm. Like our fingernails are like purple. And he's like, all right, everyone sit down, lay down, close your eyes. And he plays this tape on like this old recorder or whatever. <laughs> and it's this lady going through breathing techniques and all this. And like at the beginning of it, everyone was like giggling, like, oh, this yeah. lady sounds funny. But by the end of it, everyone was like dead silent. And it worked. It was just, it was cool to see everyone respond to the same thing, even though like everyone's so nice. different. So that was like one camaraderie moment that was cool. Lynn's credit to your frequency. Yeah. It's the same thing for calming down. If you bring the group down, the group comes That's down. Right. That's right. It's not just one, but it starts with one. That's the thing you don't notice. In that room, one of you relaxed first. Mm-hmm. And that meant the one next to you started to, and the one after them, and the one after them, and it just goes. Mm. Yeah, it's like turning down the volume. Yeah, yeah. I had to wait for Bernie to stop laughing. <laughs> yeah. Bernie, I do she, that, dude. She was the most like serious girl in our class too, because she was the only CrossFitter, and everyone oh, okay. was like CrossFit. Boosh. You didn't give her a tire to play with. No. <laughs> yeah, she would have. She would have chewed through it, man. This girl is a beast. Like her quads were like the I size do of like my head. the idea of handing someone that comes in that has a CrossFit thing one of those big tires to just sit with during the class. <laughs> she would she would prop it up in the corner and sit on it. She did her own thing sure. though, always. But yeah, I had to wait for Bernie to stop laughing. I don't use but... a tape recorder anymore. I, I know. Oh, why not? <laughs> I narrated myself now. Oh, do you? You have a great voice, by the way. As soon as you yeah. got on the mic, I was like, "Son of a bitch!" All right, <laughs> how are you doing? I'm just <laughs> this guy is like. He's ripped, good looking, got his head shaved perfect. You don't have one of those jacked up, like shaved heads. Nice. Some people, you can see where they've got the terrain going. You yeah, look like yeah. you do a good job okay. at it. You just come in here setting the standard way too high for me. You're going to go. <laughs> <laughs> just don't say hi to my wife when you leave. We'll be good. Just say hi to Riley. Hi, yeah. and bye to Riley. Yeah, don't take Other my way. dog. <laughs> Beautiful dog. Uh, Riley is the, uh, the show mascot. Yeah. Um, honestly. That dog helped me with my mental health more than mm. probably just about anything besides my wife. Um, there's a lot to be said about the energy that you can get from an animal um, that sure. is in the right space. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of times animals are an extension of us. 
um, which means if you have an anxiety-ridden person, you have an anxiety-ridden yeah. dog. Um, we got lucky. She just came like, I don't know, I think her name should be Zoloft or some shit like uh, that. <laughs> she's just always chill. Yeah. But no matter how you feel, she'll curl right up on you and bring you down level. She's very yeah, sensitive. Awesome. It's perfect. And she drools and farts. <laughs> Even better. <laughs> well, do you have any questions? Uh, anything that you didn't get to talk about that you'd like to talk about? Mm-hmm. There's a there's a lot of things that we could talk about. A lot of different rabbit holes to go down. I'd um, love to have you come back. Honestly, yeah, I think we could always uh, do that. I think always we be could. A part two. There's, yeah. there's there's some stuff to talk about. I, I believe so. You're very interesting, man, and I think that you have a, a very good look at uh, reality. Yeah, that's Thank not not a lot of people have that these days. What was and, what was the second memory? Yes. Oh, the second memory was going on the tennis court. And you had us doing like the ladder drill. And this is kind of like the opposite. So meditation was, of course, to help us manage our stress, Mm -hmm. which was a really good class at that point because like all the professors knew each other. And I think that specific week, all you guys gave us like final exams or something. And we were like, we need this stress management, Nick. Thank you. (laughs) But um, the second memory was going out on the tennis court. And that was to kind of like upregulate us and get us to move, teach Mm -hmm. us agility and things like that. And it was actually, oddly enough, in the exercise science program, not everyone was huge into exercise. So, like, some people went there more for rehabilitation or, like, yeah, mm, exactly. Good call. So, it was cool, like, even Nick was able to, I guess, coerce them in a way to do the latter <laughs> and, that, like, actually put some pep in their step. Like, these people had never done it before. But they were like, hey, watch them do it, watch them do it, and now you guys go. So it, it was a bunch of 20-something-year-olds out yeah. on the tennis court. And me trying to hang with them. Yeah, do ladder <laughs> No, games. I'm sure you had a rough time. Yeah, yeah. he was the leader, man. <laughs> he, he's got, like, angel toes. They're so, like, angel soft. Angel toes? Like, yes. Angel toes? I've never heard this before. Yes. Gee, don't a, take your shoe off. you be like, oh. <laughs> he's going to float away. <laughs> like, no. Yeah, that's, that's really cool that you get out there. I had somebody describe leadership to me at one point when I was in the army. They said that leadership was getting someone to do something that they did not believe they could do themselves. That's my understanding of it as well. And 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 I like that definition. Yeah. And it's always stuck with me. I mean, there's a lot of ways that you can describe different things, but I think that's a huge cornerstone to that is installing that that faith in yourself. Mm -hmm. And knowing that you are a perfect machine, it's you that's making it not. That's right. It's not anybody else but yourself. Yeah. I think to piggyback off that, you could think of, kind of follow this this 3D formula in my head, which is, and you may have heard me say this in class before, that your your decisions in life are based off of your desires, right? Mm -hmm. And those desires are dependent upon your definitions. So whatever your definitions are of leadership, if you don't have a strong definition of it, then your ability to lead is going to be, you know, within that small spectrum of possibilities. Whereas if you go and you enhance your definitions through experience, through learning, now you're going to have this broad spectrum that you can then make decisions based off of. And that's how you change the world around you, is strengthening your definition. So while we don't like to read the, uh, the dictionary, it could be very, very helpful. <laughs> Words are by far one of the strongest swords that we have to wield as humans. And we don't realize the weight that they carry when we don't know the language. Mm. We like to think that we can translate experiences word for word. And that's impossible. We don't like to admit that we don't have the feelings of other cultures. 
there are words in other cultures for feelings that they have for each other in different moments that we've never placed a word on. So how are we going to ever see eye to eye if we don't accept the fact that we don't have the same understandings for feelings and we're never going to be able to put the same word to it? So at some point, you have to accept things at face value mm. and not try to make it understandable. I like that. So a little food for thought. Yeah. But, Last yeah. thing, there's a hat. Can I add it? Yes. There's a hashtag that you made. Do you remember that? The uh, hashtag? Bless my life. Yes. Bless my life. So there's that old site. It's called Fuck My Life. So if you yeah, had yeah. a bad day or a bad situation happen to you. That. Yeah. And, they and would, during that time when you were in that, in that course, that was pretty popular to say that. Yeah. Uh, it was irritating. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. They Good made standard. a whole site about it. And so Nick was like, instead of saying like FML, he's like, how about BML? Like, bless my life. Like, everything is happening for me, not to me. To me. Because yeah. like, that's not satisfying in a moment where you need to feel all of that frustration. Yeah. People don't realize that they're addicted to that shit. Yeah. That's true. Dude, but being a victim. True. You can mm-hmm. be addicted to the, to the opposite of being optimistic. Dude, we've seen it. There is a... There's an extreme of anything. Mm. Uh, we see it. Just go to YouTube. You can manifest your life on one end and then you can throw away your life on the other. Yeah. But in the it's middle... Still, both are manifestations. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's what makes it so fucking funny. Yeah. <laughs> and the fact that we can't see it. Yeah. It's, it's like playing a game that you're not invited to, but you're allowed to play anytime you want. Mm. Like you can walk out there into the world, but everybody's an NPC until you turn them into something different. Uh, you have to shake their hand or you have to say hi or do whatever it is. And then it's there. It's, it's a new right, thing. Right. It's so weird. You go to any place now. I talked to Caroline about it. When you sit in like waiting rooms now, not just the phone piece, but you can see once you start to meditate that the world is not here. People are not here. You can be sitting in the same room together, breathing the same air, touching the same floor, but you're in two completely different realms. Dude, one person could be in a PTSD deadlock in their head from 30 years ago, and the other one's pissed because he didn't get his fucking fries. And the other one's gone through meditation. Yes. And he's just watching going, wow. Yeah, and that's what I'm doing. I still find myself in the wow phase. Mm -hmm. Like, Am I broken? <laughs> it's like, you know, just watching. And you can see more and more when you listen to tribes, monks, and different things mm-hmm. where they're like, they don't have a problem with people. They just say, look, they're not well. Yeah. We don't want to engage with that. Right. And right. I remind myself when I hear or when I think of, we fly to take naps. Mm-hmm. Vacations. Yeah. We will travel yeah, yeah. across the world to go sleep comfortably. Uh-huh. That's a problem. Yeah. You should be able to do that where you're at mm-hmm. and go there just because you want to go, there, right. not because right. you need to go there. I've heard the, the term of a trip going on a vacation or going on a trip is similar to almost like a psychedelic trip to where you go and then you have an experience there in that space. And then when you come back home, your worldview has changed. Your perception has changed in such a way that it was a trip that you almost like took a psychedelic mm. experience. Dude, I can see how that would be. Yeah. Very relatable. No, it ties in. It does. Um, if only we did more research around those types of psychedelics. Mm-hmm. The VA has come a long way. So what come if long, you long go on a trip and your trip? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a trippy uh, trip. You <laughs> open a wormhole. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. 
<laughs> it's some bizarre happening. Is there um, any information you'd like to give people where they can look you up or be able to work with you at all? Or um, yeah, on Facebook, it's just I think it's Nick Martinez PhD, and then on Instagram is Nick Mars PhD, which is I just shortened my name from Martinez to Mars. This is a, I like this that. Is a it sounds like an artist. Yeah, <laughs> Nick Mars. Next, yeah. I'm just really into like circadian rhythms, sun and moon, and everything else. I saw. I love that, dude. Because that's the only real thing there is. Yeah. I love that. Well, I appreciate you for coming on. My pleasure. Caroline, Thanks thank you for sharing such a great, you know, mentor, friend, teacher um, with us. Thank you. Yeah, you guys are awesome. Thank you guys for setting the time aside. You guys are both so busy. Like, it means so you. much for you guys to meet each other. It's cool. Yeah. Oh, you're you're welcome back anytime. Very thank much you, brother. Appreciate it. I know Gary's gonna love meeting you next time you're here. Um, he'll probably fly in. I'll get I'll get him to come down here. He's gonna do a lot of uh, work here in Florida too. Cool. So hopefully we can set it up that way. Uh, maybe even go record in a gym or something. Never know. Um, we're we're always doing fun stuff. We'll get Gary on the ladders. That's what. <laughs> <laughs> I want tickets to this. We sell tickets. I want to see Gary on the ladder. That's all right. We'll sell you one. We'll sell you one. You'll get a free one. Awesome. Thank you again, Jay. Thank Appreciate you. Too. you. All right. Well, remember, everybody, be cool and keep learning.